0: Welcome to the West Steps,
1: a podcast from the Colorado Children's Campaign that explores issues that impact Colorado kids and families. I'm your host,
0: Lisa Tedes.
1: Welcome to the West Steps. Um, This week we have it's been a very exciting week this week for all of us. Um, And uh, I have a returning champ in the house. Uh, I'm going to let her introduce herself and then we're going to jump into it. I'm really,
0: really excited for uh, this conversation. Les? I'm also very excited for this conversation. Uh, yes, I, Leslie Caldwell, and I'm the Vice President for Education Initiatives at the Colorado Children's Campaign.
1: Um, so there was a very exciting decision out of the Colorado Supreme Court that came out on Monday. But before we talk about the decision and and how exciting all of that was, can you give us some background as to why um, the, there was this um, Uh, this conversation before the the court?
0: Yes. So um, there was a bill that we were strongly supporting at the legislature. It was House Bill 1164. And um, this bill raised a pretty fundamental constitutional question about Tabor, about the Taxpayers' Bill of Rights and about voter approval. And so that bill formed the basis of what's called an interrogatory uh, that was sent to the Colorado Supreme Court to assess the constitutionality of a plan that the legislature had. And they wanted to just confirm um, before they passed that law that it was actually constitutional. Um, So I'll try to give kind of a quick history lesson here. One of the things that um, Tabor did when it passed in 1992 was impose a cap on the amount of tax revenue that um, would not allow school districts revenue to grow um, at a faster rate than inflation plus enrollment growth. So after TABOR passed, if you had um, local property tax revenues in a school district that were exceeding the amount of that TABOR cap on revenue um, because of increases in property values, then what happened was the mill levy would be reduced To keep the local revenues within that cap. And there are really sort of two communities where we saw um, two types of communities where we saw high growth in property wealth during that time. So it was um, communities that were having a lot of oil and gas development or communities where, um, you know, if they were growing resort communities and their and their property value was increasing. Mm-hmm. So then what happened was we had, um, between 1994 and 2002 ish, um, we had voters in 174 of our 178 school districts who went to their voters and, um, they asked to permanently waive that Tabor cap. Um, and so those elections were called deep elections. And that was a reference to Tabor's author, um, And so those districts passed debrucing elections. And despite the fact that they were successful, the Colorado Department of Education acted as if those elections had not occurred. Um, And they basically said that the Tabor cap, even though it had been waived, still applied for purposes of property tax revenue. And so anytime, again, property values were increasing, you were hitting the Tabor cap, your mill levy had to go down. Um, and so that is how we ended up with a um, property tax system that supports public education, where um, depending on where, you know, taxpayers live in the state, they may be paying a property tax rate that's two to five to 16 times higher than um, sometimes their neighboring their neighboring districts. Um, And so, you know, that led to this additional problem of as the mills declined and we had less tax revenue that was supporting school finance from local property tax, the state has been on the hook to cover a growing portion of K-12 education costs. And a lot of that backfill um, goes to some of our wealthiest districts in the state. So we've got a lot of very affluent districts with high property values that have low property tax rates, um, and that means that more state funding goes to support their students. So all of that to say, House Bill Eleven Sixty Four set up a correction plan um, and said, you know, we believe that voter intent when these DeBrusin elections happened um, was that that Tabor cap should not have existed which meant that the mill levies never should have been reduced in the first place. And so over time, the legislature should have the authority to um, have those mill levies increase back to where they were so that we can get closer to a system where it doesn't matter what property or what school district you live in, what your property tax rate is, or what the level of resources looks like to support your students. Um, And so the importance of the Supreme Court decision is that they ruled that the legislature's plan um, to correct this problem in House Bill 1164 is constitutional. So the Supreme Court came out with that decision this Monday. Um, We were really excited to see that. And then the bill, House Bill 1164, passed the same day, um, and that was third and third reading and final passage in the second chamber. And so um, all it needs is the governor's signature to go into effect.
1: This is very exciting, because I think a lot of educational policy does not happen that quickly. I don't think in my five years of working in this space, I've ever seen anything pass that quickly get very
0: exciting stuff. Yeah. Um, you just have to take into account the the fact that it has taken about five years of work yes, <laughs> to, get to, that, to get it to that point and yeah.
1: and you know uh listeners to the west steps know that you and i have talked about this issue since the podcast started um so uh th- even though it passed in a day uh it has taken five years to be an overnight success so um, very exciting. And in that correction plan, I think there is, you know, whenever we talk about uh, tax policy or property tax policy in this instance, there's always kind of the first Colorado instinctive to be like, wait, are you t- raising my taxes? Um, in that corrections plan, um, it is not an overnight change to how we think about property tax so um is that correct and can you just say a little bit more about how long it's going to take and what that means and um and what the changes we can anticipate to see.
0: Yeah, that's a really important point to make. So um it's correct that this is, you know, the correction plan that the legislature is putting in place here. We would describe it as a very reasonable and um, incremental approach to solving this problem. So um, just to give a look, some numbers maybe behind what we're looking at here, we have 178 school districts in Colorado. Um, 39 of those school districts levy already the highest mill that you can have, which is 27 mills. Mm-hmm. Um, we then have one district that's at the low end of 1.68 mills. And then we have districts everywhere in between that. And yeah. so um, what the correction plan um, proposes is that Districts will need to get back to either 27 mills, the mill at which they de locally. So when they held that de election, they asked their voters to waive the Tabor cap. Where was their mill? We have a lot of districts that were above 27 when they did that. Um, And then the third option is that it would be the mill where they are fully funded locally with property tax um, revenue or were at some point, whichever of those three numbers is the lowest, that is the mill that a district would have to get to over time. Mm -hmm. When I say over time, um, what I mean by that is that uh, districts mills would only be able to increase at the rate of up to one mill per year. So, um, you know, if you are a district like Littleton, for example, and I believe they're somewhere like maybe they're at 24 mills, they've got they're going to have to get to 27 mills that will be done over the course of three years. Um, Again, we have 39 districts that are already at 27. The average number of mills that a district will have to increase um, under this correction plan is about four and a half. Um, So it's not a huge increase. Uh, you know, if we're looking at, it's about $7 of additional property tax payment on a, on $100,000 of home value mm-hmm. per year. Mm-hmm. So these are not, like, they are really truly not exponential amounts that we're talking about in the districts that we'll need to increase. And, um, you know, what we also would remind people is, like, this is to get districts back to where they used to be, And to the same level that we have 39 school districts in the state right now and where they have been for decades in terms of their, their taxpayers contribution to public education.
1: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, the, and the excitement of uh, this correction plan being constitutional and the bill passing awaiting the governor's signature. I think the question that comes to mind is that like, Uh, how are we going to spend this money now, then? Uh, What does this mean for um, uh, the school finance formula? And knowing that this is separate, like how, what is the best course to um, put this money back into um, schools?
0: Yeah. So, you know, for the children's campaign, we have been talking for years about how both the revenue side of the school finance equation and the funding formula side, how we actually allocate those dollars, both sides of that equation are inequitable and um, outdated. And, you know, there's just like a lot of structural problems on both sides. So, you know, this Supreme Court decision addresses what I think is a key structural problem in the revenue system Um, But we still have problems with our our funding formula. And so, you know, our hope here is that as we start to see some new revenue um, from local property tax, the estimation for for next year is about $92 million in new revenue that could be invested in K-12 education. Um, That will build up over time to about $290 million per year. Um, As we see that new revenue, we would love to see it invested in in new and different ways, Um, you know, in the ways that we know actually make a difference for kids. Um, And so some ideas that we've certainly been talking about with legislators um, would have to do with the school finance interim committee recommendations from a couple of years ago. And so there was um, Pretty deep consensus on that committee that we should be investing more in things like our students living in poverty, our students who are learning English as a second language, special education, you know, that there should be some state role for looking at the amount of um, local property wealth and districts ability to raise what are called local mill levy overrides, you know, so these are if they want to go to their voters and raise more revenue on top of what they get from the state. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of that depends on what your local property tax base is. And so, um, you know, if you're a district that has low property wealth, and you go to your voters over and over and over again, and um, you can only raise like $72 Seventy-two dollars per student versus a district that has high property wealth who can raise thousands of dollars per student. Should there be a state role in equalizing for that? We would say yes, um, and that that potentially could be a good use for these funds too. So um, we're really hopeful that you know this opens up a new conversation also about you know not just can we put more money into the system which is needed. Um, but what are like the investments, the targeted investments that we could be making um, that will really make sure that the students who most need resources are getting them?
1: Yeah. And I think that this becomes especially important given this, um, uh, the, the, the effects of the pandemic we've seen and, you know, the, the, um, the effect, its effect on our um, kids who face the most barriers to economic security and 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 yeah. now have are facing additional barriers because of the pandemic. Um, yeah. I think that my next question here is: I think this is truly, genuinely, very exciting to see um, tangible structural solutions coming out of the legislature. I wonder, like, there's such a positive. Um, outcome from the Supreme Court and now the passing of this legislation with the now we're going to see, you know, not a small amount of increase in new revenue. What are you hoping that the legislator now then takes this momentum and starts building to address not just, I think, you know, the, the, the kind of the parameter questions that we've been asking, especially in this pandemic, but some of the real infrastructure, the real structural problems that we see on both sides of how we think about um, investments in schools.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a lot of what I was just talking about in terms of, uh, like, how do we take our funding formula that was written in 1994 Uh, for a totally different time and a totally different student population and totally different education delivery methods and totally different policy systems. Like how can we bring that into the 21st century? Um, And so it's, you know, like how do we really make different investments in, like you said, Beza, our students who um, have the most barriers to opportunity and, um, and mm-hmm. our districts that um, they struggle the most to provide resources locally because we know that like in the absence of a statewide funding solution since the last recession, really, we have districts now relying um, more and more on their local voters through local mill overrides that has like truly exacerbated inequities and funding disparities between mm-hmm. districts Um, But I think there's also this um, conversation happening. My dog is saying hello to all the West Steps listeners. We we love Pep. (laughs) Um, I love the pup in in this, in this podcast. Yes. Okay, good. I'm sorry about that. But um, there's also a real opportunity, I think, to um, talk about, you know, some of the more holistic um, supports and services that students need. That's not just academic. Yeah, absolutely. It's things like mental health supports that kids receive at school. What is the um, psychological, uh, you know, or how many psychologists are in school? How many counselors? Um, It's things like that. It's, it's professional development for educators.
1: I think all of those, those investments make sense. And I think that uh, it is, it's going to be, you know, important to all of us to participate in, what's to come and what's next. So I wonder if you can give people, like as we wrap up here, if you can give people how they can plug in, how they can participate in the conversation. Um, but also I think, you know, it's uh, the k 12 education conversation in the policy space, is not just limited to the formula or, you know, the, so I wonder if you can give people some larger perspective on how they can be part of these conversations.
0: Yeah, there's, I mean, there's always going to be an opportunity for people to elevate their own experiences with what, you know, what does the level of resources look like in your school, in your child's school? Um, You know, what are the services and supports that you wish were available to kids in your community that are not? And so the advocacy around um, that will always be important, no matter what our revenue system or our funding formula look like um but you know there there are so many opportunities especially coming out of the pandemic and as kids are getting back into school this fall um and i think it really it it depends on what people care about the most so um outside of uh advocacy for just more investment in in critical services uh, there will be also an opportunity um, to drive locally what your um, school or district's um, use of the federal funding stimulus dollars looks like. Uh, so, Colorado is getting quite a bit of funding for um, districts. It's more than a billion dollars um, at CDE. You know, they'll have money available too um, to make systemic investments that uh, could make a difference for kids for the next several years. Um, and so, I think. Um, There could be opportunities with, um, you know, we're trying to elevate some recommendations from a report that the Aspen Institute released earlier this year um, around school climate. And so, you know, coming back to school, like, what does the mental health of kids? look like and what kind of supports do they need around that social emotional learning um you know uh, school discipline is is still a really key issue in schools and sort of how school discipline links to the school to prison pipeline so um those are some other issues that I know we'll be working on over the course of the next year and um, all of those issues relate to level of resources that are available in schools and districts to um to spend on on our students
1: yeah um, well thank you so much for making the time and uh also a huge congratulations on years and years of work on this um and more to come but i think uh it's, it's always really, really good to see, uh, you know, take a big step forward. Um, so thank you so much for making the time for us and hopefully we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Beza. The West Steps is a production of the Colorado Children's Campaign. If you want to support our work, go to coloradokids.org. Fun fact, you can also find out Erica's pet peeves on her profile page on our website. Please don't do that.